I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hi, it's David. A warning before we begin today's episode. It contains offensive language, discussion of domestic and sexual abuse, racism, and misogyny. Also, there are mentions of suicide from the beginning. In short, it's an upsetting story, but an important one. Oh, and some names of people in the podcast have been changed to protect their identity. One day in January 2020, shortly before midnight, a retired police officer took his own life. 52-year-old Ricky Jones was a decorated copper who'd served for 26 years, most of them with Gwent Police, a small force in southeast Wales. He left behind a wife and three daughters. Outwardly, he was a highly respected member of the community. But behind closed doors, he subjected his family to decades of abuse. After his death, needing to understand her father's cruelty, one of his daughters unlocked his old iPhone and revealed things that even the family were not prepared for. Sunday Times journalists David Collins and Hannah Al Othman have been investigating this story. Police officers discussing amongst themselves how fellow male police officers have been grooming and groping and abusing female colleagues. You sort of reach a point where you think you can fail to be shocked, but then I continue to be. You're listening to Stories of Our Times, The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, how a dead police officer's phone exposed misogyny, corruption and racism. My name is David Collins. I'm the Northern Editor for The Sunday Times and I'm an investigative reporter, bringing the biggest stories outside of London to our readers and listeners. David, today we're going to talk about Gwent Police in South East Wales. The way this story comes to you is absolutely extraordinary. Can you take us through it? The chain of events starts in January 2020 when Ricky Jones, veteran kind of police officer, he's retired, he's done 26 years in Gwent Police. He walked out of the house one day, had a row with his wife, and he jumped off the Prince of Wales Bridge. That's the bridge that connects England and Wales. It goes over the River Severn. His BMW was found 
by police parked up by the side barriers on the bridge. He fell to his death. Ricky had a phone, and that iPhone X he left in his BMW car, which he parked on the bridge. So the police, after they'd finished dealing with the post-mortem and so on, returned his possessions to the family. They went into the phone, and there were several reasons why they went into the phone. The biggest one was he was quite a cruel man. He subjected his family to domestic abuse for many years, and his eldest daughter basically wanted answers. She went into the phone and found a whole secret life that they weren't aware about that their father had. So he had extramarital affairs, at least two, but also they uncovered this enormous kind of web of corruption, misogyny, racism, homophobia, the abuse of young female officers at Gwent Police. In most sorts of cases, you imagine the family wouldn't want this to come out. Why in this case had they wanted it to come out? I think there were a number of reasons why they wanted it to come out. The biggest one for them was how they felt they had been treated by Ricky their entire lives. To the outside world, Ricky was a hero. He'd received commendations to his colleagues, to neighbours, to people in the kind of Welsh Valleys community where they were from. He was a loving husband, great father, and a fantastic copper. But they knew a secret world which went on behind closed doors. And he subjected his family to real abuse. Do we have any idea why he did end his life? So in terms of his overall mental health, there were some signs earlier on, especially in his relationship with Sharon. They met when they were very young, aged 19. Sharon was basically sitting in the horse and jockey pub in Pontypool in South Wales one day in 1987 when Ricky walked in. They got chatting through friends, as you do. And then they started dating and, the, and got married and had three kids. Early on in that relationship, she remembers being called by the police when she was on shift as a nurse. And she remembers him being found near cliffs. And Sharon was told that he had suicidal thoughts. Let's talk a bit about his family relationship. Firstly, the known bit of his family relationship. What was his relationship with his wife like before his death? I'd say leading up to the death, it was extremely toxic. They'd been married since the late 80s. They had three children together. And to begin with, things were pretty good between the two of them. It wasn't perfect, but... He used to treat her fairly nicely, she says. There were always signs there. You know, he's very controlling. He's very obsessive. He had an absolute obsession with cleaning and and hygiene in a way that was really unhealthy. He used to obsess over his appearance, over his weight, and he used to obsess over the weight of his family members. He'd constantly drop hints about his daughters and his wife's weight. Did they sleep in the same room? For the past 15 years, Sharon was sleeping downstairs in the house on the sofa. 
while Ricky slept in the marital bed upstairs. 15 years. 15 years she put up with that. Did she ever once suspect him of being unfaithful during that period? Never, ever. When I ask her, you know, this really toxic relationship, really abusive, and kind of, you know, how he treated his daughters. He used to try and charge one of his daughters money per slice of bread. It's things like that, really petty things every day. And he used to say, you know, why didn't you go and and talk about, you know, a divorce? And she brought it up with him several times, and he always tried to pull it back. And I think in the end, she was quite afraid of him. And that's what all the daughters say. She was scared of leaving him. Did he portray himself as somebody who was not the kind of guy who would have affairs, for example? What Ricky would tell Sharon every single day of their marriage was that I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm loyal. I'm faithful. I'm honourable. And you're not. She describes it as like this repetitive pattern, the same thing over and over and over again. And in a marriage of more than 20 years... What she says to me is she basically believed it. Some of Ricky Jones's behaviour towards his wife and three daughters represented the most extreme behaviour David has ever encountered in his 18 years as a journalist. It was never physical abuse, but it was real verbal abuse. It was every day. The family believe he's basically undiagnosed kind of OCD, which led him to want everything in the house to be clean. Everything had to be right. You know, he wanted his wife to hoover the carpets four times a day after a shift at the hospital. The children had to grow up in one room of the house because he didn't want them in any other room of the house because they'd messed the house up. He had things about the children stepping on certain steps on the staircase, which sounds utterly bizarre. He had a thing about his middle daughter who had eczema. He thought he was breathing in her skin particles in the air and that she was leaving them on furniture. And he used to leave the room when she walked into it. So it's all these kind of things that built up a picture of their lives and the cruelty they suffered. And they went through a lot and they wanted that to come out. So what happened after he took his own life and his eldest daughter looked at his phone? What did she see? They had the password, they went into it and Emma, the eldest daughter, Emma was 26 at the time, was really the one who wanted to work out what was going on in her dad's head all this time. She describes to me, although she knew he wasn't a pleasant man, she was not prepared for what she found on that phone. She found evidence of basically a secret life. He had an entirely separate life that the family didn't suspect for one second. He had, for example, an affair with a woman that lasted for eight years. Eight years? For eight years. And this woman had two children. And he was basically like their father, as far as she could work out. You know, he was buying them presents. He was he was taking them out. I mean, there was even a day that the family remember when uh, it was Christmas Day and Ricky had a row with Sharon and he decided to pick up all the Christmas presents and walk out with them. And they think that he gave the Christmas presents to the children of the woman he was having an affair with. 
This relationship ended a few months before he jumped off the bridge. But it wasn't just that relationship, there were others. You know, there was at least one other long-term affair. There was evidence of flirtations with numerous, numerous women. Hadn't he also started to record arguments with his wife on his phone? That's right. So another bizarre part of what Ricky was doing, which they had no idea about, was they found more than 300 secret recordings on his mobile where basically Ricky had started recording his rails with Sharon. But what he'd do, the the recordings would start halfway for an argument. So what the family think he was doing, the argument would start, he'd wind up Sharon to the point where she was shouting, really having a go at each other. That's the point when Ricky would leave the room start the recording on his phone and come back into the room and start recording her. Why did they think he did this? So essentially what they believe is that Ricky told Sharon that if there was one thing he was going to do with his life before he died, he was going to publicly humiliate her. Sharon has always told me that's exactly what happened because just before he jumped, he sent those secret recordings to family members, to their relatives, to one of the daughters. He peppered those recordings around the community. And although we don't know what was going on in Ricky's mind when he did that, there is other evidence that just before his death, he is starting to implant evidence in the community about Sharon. He's going to his GP and raising concerns about Sharon being violent and drinking and their abusive behaviour, portraying himself as the victim. It sounds like not only was he guilty of controlling behaviour before his death, but actually he was seeking to use controlling behaviour after his death. Absolutely. What the family believe about the inquest is that the truth about Ricky didn't come out. You know, he got he kind of got what he wanted and they feel like they were... You know, Sharon's always felt like she has been made out to be the one that drove him to his death. She's the abusive wife that made him kill himself. I've spent time with Sharon. I've spent time with all of the daughters, all three of them, individually. I've interviewed them forwards. I've interviewed them backwards. I've read thousands of messages that Ricky sent on his phone. I feel like I knew him, although I never met him. I feel like I did know him. And I can absolutely categorically say Sharon and the daughters are absolutely the victims. Ricky was not the victim. Did she ever consider going to the police about his abuse of her at any stage? A number of times she thought about it, but the problem was Ricky would always tell her, there's no point going to the police. I am the police. Who are they going to believe? Um... They used to have a row and he used to tell her that, you know, I've got police officers posted at different roundabouts, so when you're going to hospital driving there, got friends watching you. He never laid a finger on her, but she always wondered what might happen if she left. She had reason. David saw messages on Ricky Jones's phone to a friend which would have confirmed her fears. There were several times, actually, where he jokes about murdering her. 
he talks about killing her, killing off his hefty wife with his shovel hands. Now, what also found on the phone had much wider significance just than the terrible situation that he put his family through. Before we talk about what was discovered, maybe we should just talk a bit about the police force within which the discovery takes place. I mean, we're talking about Gwent police force. Can you just tell us first a little bit about it? How big is it and what kind of area does it cover? It's a force that covers southeast Wales. It's roughly 1,300 to 1,400 officers. One of the smaller forces in England and Wales... By comparison, the Met is about 35,000 officers. Greater Manchester and West Midlands are about 7,500 officers. So Gwent Police at 1,300. It's a small force. It's quite rural. It would cover towns like Newport, Abitaleri, Caerphilly. In terms of kind of inspections, I'd say below average. OK. Now... On Ricky Jones's phone, he also had his postings and other postings on WhatsApp and Facebook. And those showed a series of things about Gwent Police. This phone basically reveals Ricky's messages between 41 serving and retired police officers that go from the rank of constable up to chief inspector. Those messages cover everything from homophobia to racism to misogyny, police officers discussing amongst themselves how fellow male police officers have been grooming and groping and abusing female colleagues. It shows the leaking of sensitive police data, arrest videos that are shared with members of the public, information from the internal police systems that are being leaked to members of the public. David has seen a trove of offensive material, but perhaps the worst of it lay in exchanges between Ricky Jones and a retired sergeant who we're calling Officer A. Officer A is an officer currently under investigation because of our work. He swapped, exchanged thousands of messages with Ricky Jones over a number of years. He served more than 30 years before he retired. Officer A is one of the most toxic, toxic individuals I've ever seen in kind of message format, if you like. He sends Ricky multiple, multiple racist memes and messages. Messages about Harry and Meghan's baby. There's one of Grenfell Tower that he sends where the caption is the great Muslim bake-off. That is just a kind of top slice, really, of what he's sending. We couldn't put it all in the paper, nor would you want to. That's on the racist side of things. You know, and he's in WhatsApp groups with serving officers. There's one group they're in, it's eight, eight of them, and we identified multiple serving officers. Officers are still in Gwent Police. And in the racist language he uses, he talks about his colleagues having sex with Filipino women with penises. That's the sort of level. And none of this behaviour is ever challenged at any stage, by the way, which in itself, it goes against the police code of conduct. You could get sacked for that in the police. Not challenging is as bad as the offence itself in, in a lot of ways. There's the racism. And there's an example, isn't there, where he messages Jones about a fellow cop. So he messages 
Jones about a fellow police officer saying that basically this, this fellow officer had been caught shagging on duty. Officer A is messaging Ricky about that, basically saying, he's been caught doing this. I thought I taught him how not to get caught shagging on duty. Right. And it's just this kind of idea that he's disappointed in his mate because, you know, he taught him better. You know, I used to go shagging on duty and I never get caught and I taught you how to do it and there you are getting caught. And that was the tone of the conversation. They have this exchange on Facebook Messenger, don't they? When Jones is presumably in one of his worst situations with Sharon and he's discussing a possible divorce. Uh, As if the racism, homophobia and whatever else isn't enough. Ricky starts messaging Officer A talking about his relationship with Sharon, the talk about getting divorced, it's going to financially ruin him. And Officer A, he says, why don't I basically set up a secret bank account? It will be in my name, so no one will know about it. And you can funnel your cash into that account, shield those assets from any divorce proceedings. And he finishes off the offer by saying, I've done exactly the same for and names a very senior Gwent police officer who had also got divorced, hiding any sort of assets during divorce proceedings is fraud. It was a blatant offer. I mean, it's there. It's in black and white. It's in text. It's on Ricky's phone. He offered to do it. What recent other cases have Gwent Police gone through? In the last kind of year, this isn't entirely new to the public in terms of Gwent Police not behaving, officers not behaving well. So we have seen quite a high-profile case of misconduct. Three really senior police officers who had gone out. It was a chief constable's retirement party. There was... Uh, Chief Superintendent Mark Budden and Chief Inspector Paul Staniforth and a third officer, Chief Superintendent Warrender, were at this party. Budden and Staniforth were basically found guilty of gross misconduct while Warrender retired before the panel had finished its hearing. But the panel said, had he still been a police officer, he would have been dismissed. The reason for, uh, for that was basically... Warrender had been accused of inappropriately touching a junior officer, female officer, at a retirement party in 2019. And the other two basically were found that they didn't challenge the behaviour in a way that was appropriate for officers of that grade. So they were also dismissed from the force. Coming up, David's Sunday Times colleague, Hannah Al-Othman, talks to me about how the story led her to uncover numerous incidents of alleged sexual abuse and harassment of female officers at Gwent Police. I'm Emma Tucker, and I'm the editor of the Sunday Times. I'm really proud that every week we bring you the stories that hold the people who are making decisions on your behalf to account. If we weren't to do this, nobody else would. And that's the value of an independent free press. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and Sunday Times. 
Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So my name's Hannah Alothman. I'm a news reporter for the Sunday Times. I'm based in Manchester and I've been doing this for about two and a half years now. In order to get this story, who have you spoken with? Lots of the things that we uncovered there were evidence of misogyny, sexism and treatment of women in Gwent and by Gwent officers. So I set about trying to find women who are or were Gwent police officers. The women that I spoke to had all at some point served with Gwent police some of them were a bit nervous at first and that, you know, they've never often, people have never really spoken with a journalist before. They've certainly never spoken with you before and that, you know, they're not quite sure and not all of them engaged, not all of them spoke to me, but a few did, enough did. I think they realised that, that we were trying to expose something that they wanted exposed. So how many officers, did, female officers, did you end up speaking to, do you think? Three of them decided that they did want their stories told in the Sunday Times. The common thread with all of these women's stories was that they had reported, they were all younger, more junior female officers who had reported older senior male officers for things ranging from domestic abuse to bullying to sexual assault. And all three of the women had been discredited themselves Right, now there's one particular former officer who we're calling Josie. It's not her real name. Tell us what she said happened to her. Josie had reported a male colleague for a sexual assault. She accused him of a sexual assault and basically she ended up being sacked before the disciplinary hearing into his conduct. Josie told Hannah she was dismissed on the basis of spurious allegations and the reason, in her mind was so it would discredit her at a hearing for the officer who she had accused of sexual assault. They accused her of not putting a statement to someone during a police interview. They accused her of exaggerating a back injury when she was on light duties. 
In the end, a misconduct panel never went ahead and the officer has since left the force. There are disputed accounts as to why that panel never happened. Josie also spoke to Hannah about how things were when, in her 20s, she was starting out at Gwent Police. When she first joined, she was told by a male colleague that if she sucked people off, she would move quickly through the ranks. On one occasion, when she was a probationer, she was taken into a room by a sergeant. She described the police station. She said it's like a maze. She was new. She didn't know where she was going. She said he he took her down this corridor. He took her into a room, this sergeant, uh, and he shut all the blinds. And he, he asked her what she did in her spare time. And she said that she was a musician. He said, well, you must like performing then. Have you ever given a sergeant a blowjob? And she, you know, she refused. She left the room. He later asked her on another occasion, are you sure about that blowjob? Because I've got a van here with a mattress in the back. That was when they were both on shift. Did she get the impression that this was normal behaviour for him? Absolutely. She said it. misogyny and sexual harassment were rife in Gwen. Another quote from her, she said, it goes all through the force. The boys think it's all right to slap your arse as you're walking around. On another occasion, they sellotaped her phone to the ceiling. They said, we're going to watch your arse when you climb on the table to get it down. And, and she said she just refused. She said, I'll, I'll leave it there. She said they were just wholly inappropriate. All the examples you've given are cases of clear sexual harassment, all of them. So I imagine that when she was complaining about sexual assault, we were talking, without going into details, about something even worse. Yes, worse. It, you know, it, was a, it wasn't just harassment, it was a sexual assault. And you spoke to other female officers. Essentially, were they backing up what she said? Absolutely. I mean, one said we call it the boys' club. She said it's like a mob mentality and she spoke a bit about, obviously Gwent is the latest in a series of revelations about different forces Uh, and what she said is people say that the police are racist, misogynistic and homophobic. Gwent police tick every box. What they said is the fact that it's a smaller force where everyone knows everybody makes it even more difficult for action to be taken and to change that culture. That was their, their view on all of this. Some of the people you talked to, you spoke to on the phone, some you met in person. The ones you met in person, did anything strike you about them? Yes, I mean, I suppose one woman who I met, uh, Sarah, she was a, a tough woman. She said, you can see I'm not sort of some shy, retiring woman. Obviously, no one ever wants to make generalisations of what a victim is or what a victim should look like. But she told me that she'd always sort of had that strength of character and yet she had basically been forced out of this police force and it was the same with Josie which I'd imagine you know if if you choose that career in policing you're likely to have a bit of toughness about you but they'd still found themselves forced out of their jobs and out of their careers and one woman I spoke to lost her entire livelihood, was made homeless, lost everything by being forced out. Let's take it on now to the response to your story. What has happened since you first reported this in the Sunday Times? So since we reported it, one thing that has happened is we've had dozens, dozens of people come forward, serving and retired police officers, largely women, complaining about kind of how they've been treated in police forces across the country. There has been a lot of reaction 
a lot of it from within policing, just sort of wanting to shed a light on where this is happening elsewhere. So again, that's something that I'm really pleased to see. Hope this may eventually in some way lead to a change in that culture. Um, but we're continuing to, you know, speak to those people who've come forward, look into those stories and hopefully we've got more to come on Gwent as well, but also more stories from elsewhere. When you went to Gwent Police for a comment about your reporting, what was said? So Pam Kelly, who's the current chief constable of the force, released a statement. And in that statement, she said that the content shared with us paints a picture of a toxic culture which does not represent the majority of our service. She also said that she's made it clear to officers across the force that those who do not uphold these standards have no place in Gwent Police or in policing. She also added that the force was committed to pursuing those who, in her words, let us all down, and that Gwent Police Force was an anti-racist service. That's how she described it. They're very strong words, but I think we'll have to see what happens because some of the, the people sending and receiving those messages are Gwent Police officers still. It's one that we will have to keep a close eye on to see if those strong words are matched by strong actions. Since David and Hannah's reporting, Gwent Police Force have referred themselves three times to the Independent Office for Police Conduct. Gwent Police have handed Ricky Jones's phone to a neighbouring force, Wiltshire Police, who will investigate its contents. Wiltshire Police have chosen not to comment, saying the investigation is ongoing. This is an extraordinary story, and the way in which it came about was extraordinary. Uh, at the family of Ricky Jones, how did you find for yourself dealing with their situation? I mean, I got to know them over a three-month period where, you know, I drove down from Manchester uh, to Wales, turn up at the, you know, the family home, and they'd all sit around and pull their hearts out, really. It was a really cathartic experience for them, I think, because finally they felt empowered. And But it took the Sunday Times, it took a national newspaper to empower them, to make them feel like finally they were being listened to. We've been reporting on this for several months now and we continue to do so. And you sort of reach a point where you think you can fail to be shocked, but then I continue to be because some of the stuff that... that that people are coming forward with. It's its just really quite unbelievable. It may cause people not just in policing, but in other organisations to think twice and maybe call out racism and misogyny where they see it and not let it get to the stage where it ends up sort of splashed all over the pages of a national newspaper. And I think what this story shows and why it's so significant, this came up by chance. It was absolute chance that the family got back that iPhone X, that they happened to know the password, that they got in touch with a solicitor who happened to know somebody that I knew. I could get into the phone and look and find out this network of, of toxic culture. And if that happened by complete chance, what is going on with all the other police forces? And this weekend, as we were finishing the production on our podcast... David and Hannah got this update. So over the weekend, we've had a statement from the Chief Constable of Gwent Police, uh, Pam Kelly. She said that four police officers have now been suspended, 
One officer has been placed on restricted duties. That's as a direct result of our investigation into Ricky Jones's iPhone. We've also seen in the last few days the Welsh Conservative leader, Andrew R.T. Davis, and he's written to Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary. He would like to see the force be placed into special measures. We're yet to see uh, what's going to happen on that front. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, David Aronovich, and my guests, David Collins, the Northern Editor at The Sunday Times, and Hannah Alothman, a news reporter at The Sunday Times. You can read all the investigation by David and Hannah into Gwent Police. There are links in the episode description. The producer on today's podcast was Will Rowe. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by John Scott. See you again soon. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.